young man with the hat that just gave me a hug. While we were worshiping, um, when I worship, when I really, truly, truly, truly worship, the Holy Spirit just grips my spirit and I begin to cry. When I'm crying in a church service, it means that I'm just really connected with God. I mean, it's not made up. It's not fake. It's real. It's from the depth of my being. And I begin to weep. And that young man saw me over here crying. And he came over to me and he just sat quietly by me. And I opened my eyes after a few minutes and I looked down because I saw him there. And he went, it's going to be okay, Pastor Bob. And I was able to tell him it is okay. Because I'm worshiping right now. And these aren't tears of sadness. These are tears because I love God with all of my heart. But that touched my soul. That that little boy has so much compassion and empathy. That he was willing to come up and console his pastor. <laughs> whom he saw thought was struggling with something. So praise God. Well I could go home right now and say I had church. But that wouldn't be faithful to what I'm supposed to be doing. So here we are. Lord, please let those words be on that, that audio recording so that I can get it out to the world. But that's your business, God, not mine. <sighs> well, we have reached the point in Matthew chapter 22 of the book. And chapter 22 is one of those passages that I always just want to skip over. I mean, seriously, as we've been doing this reading of the passage every single week, for me, going through the book of Matthew every single week for the last 20-some weeks. And most of my life, I've been, I've been a Christian since 1975. That's almost 48 years I've been a Christian. And I've read through the Bible numerous times every year. So I've read this passage multiple times every year for the better part of a half of a century. And for that, for that half of a century almost... I want to skip over the first 14 verses of chapter 22 every time because I don't understand the story. Isn't that crazy? But I honestly, even this week, as I was preparing, I, opened, I sat down like on Thursday and I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm going to read through the passage. I'm just asking you to just quicken my spirit. Show me what you want me to preach on. And as I started reading it, I was like, oh, I hate this passage. And then I moved on to the next part of it and the next part of it, the next part of it, the next part of it. And it came, the Lord brought me back to the wedding. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't want to do this. We're going to do one of the other ones. Let's do one of the other ones, God. And there's this, what is the greatest commandment? That's a good one. No, 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 no. The wedding. I don't want to do the wedding, God. Well, we're doing the wedding. Because I have to be obedient. And even as much as, like I said, even as much as trying to, um, this morning, I, as I was sitting here in the sanctuary, I was like, God, I just don't know that, that this is really the right one. And the Lord over and over and over and over and over confirmed it. And Roy, yes, the songs were perfect. To what I'm going to be saying this morning. So God knows what God's doing. Now, before I actually get into the gist of this sermon, I want to confirm for some of you, because I've been asked a couple times by a couple of people. I gave out a handout last week on the timeline of the week of Jesus. <clears throat> I'm not necessarily going to be referring to it every single Sunday, but I give it to you now as a tool as you're preparing, we're going to be entering into, in, in just a short while, entering into the season of Lent, which is the six weeks before Easter. 
This is the, the time where we prepare our hearts for the Resurrection Sunday. And this timeline that you, that you have is a really cool and handy tool as you're, as you're reflecting on that Passover week of Christ. So I would encourage you to hold on to it. If you are looking at it today, um, we are still on, If I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe it is still um, Monday morning, I believe. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they are um, trying to trip him up, and they have said to us, said to him, "What is the what is the authority that you have that gives you the right to speak these words to us?" And Jesus says to them, "Well, I tell you what. You tell me where John's sermon came from, and then I'll tell you what authority I have." And they were like, uh, "We don't know." And he said, "I'm not going to tell you either." And so, if you are looking at that timeline, that's where we're at. It's Monday morning or Monday during the day, sometime. Now. Um, this parable of the wedding feast. Craig, I'm going to ask you to, to go through the slides with me, but if for some reason you, you get behind, it's cool. Um, but but we're, on, we're right now on that slide right there, parable of the wedding feast. Um, this parable is the third in a row. And if you remember, I said a few weeks ago, the Gospels were written on a long parchment. There was no such thing as chapter and verse when it was written. He just wrote so we have this particular parable at the beginning of chapter 22. However, it is actually the third in a series of three parables that Jesus is teaching and that Mark, Matthew recorded at, at this time in, in that, par, that Passion Week. So this is the third of three parables. The first parable was the two sons. You'll find that in Mark in Matthew chapter 21. It's the parable of the two sons where the father says, hey, go out and work in my field. And the, the son says, I won't do it. But then later changes his mind and does it. And then the other kid says, well, sure, I'll do it. And then he never goes. And then Jesus said, well, which one did the father's will? And they said, well, look, the one who went and did it. Yes. And then the second parable was the parable of the tenants where the guy had um, <clears throat> a vineyard set up and he hired tenants to take care of it for him. And then when it's time for him to, to reap the harvest, he sent his servants and his workers to go collect his portion. And they beat up the people and killed him. And then finally he sent his son and they killed his son. And so he wiped out those tenants and knocked them out and put new people in, there, in place. Now we're on the wedding feast. So this is the third parable in a row that Jesus is saying to his disciples... But he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the Sadducees. And they know it. And they're not happy. Okay? So that's where we're at. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. Jesus begins the parable by saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the feast. Now, um, in... Our culture, when you get invited to a wedding, what happens today? Normally you receive a little card. Sometimes you'll get a card that says, save the date. Has anybody received one of those? That's not a formal invitation yet. That's just notifying you to hold on to this date on your calendar because something's coming. Then a little while later, you're going to get a note that says, you are formally invited to the wedding of blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah on this date at this time at this location. And so we receive, in today's society, we receive two invitations to the wedding. One, save the date, something special is coming. And the other one, you're formally invited. 
please RSVP. Please let us know because we don't want to order food and then have you not show up and we've paid for all of this food and nobody shows up. That would be a sad thing for us. So please RSVP, okay? So there's usually, the, the card is just a postcard, save the date, and then you get the, the invitation, and the invitation usually has an, a return envelope, a little stamp on it, and a little card that says, I will be attending, three of us are coming, and all of that garbage, and then you mail it back to them. So they can do, well now, because uh, people are cheap and they don't want to use the postal service, everything's done online. So you get an email or a text message, hey, save the date. And then you have to go to their website called thenot.com or whatever and open up the website and RSVP and say how many people. Oh, and here's my registry so you can go and find out the presents I want you to buy me. It's a really interesting way to have weddings now. But 2,000 plus years ago, they didn't have that. And so what what they did, and this is what Jesus is talking about, is they would send out notifications that there's a party coming. Well... If you're having a big party, you have to have time to get ready for the party. So I can't say to you, hey, I'm having a party tomorrow. And then you show up because they won't be ready. Because they don't have microwaves. They didn't have refrigerators. It would take a long time for them to gather everything, prepare everything, have it ready. So they would say, listen, we plan to have a party on this date. And it's a date in the future. And we'll let you know when everything's ready. That was the culture. That was their custom. So in this situation, look at verse uh, chapter 22, verse 3. It's on the screen. The king gave a wedding feast for his son. And here it is. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited. I've always read that as he sent his servants to the people he wanted to come to the party. But in studying this, I learned that the cultural thing was they had already been invited. They were now being told, it's ready, come. And how, does, how do I know that? Well, it's in the Bible. Woo-hoo! Turn with me, Craig, bring up the slide. Turn with me to Esther chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. If you don't turn, that's okay. I have it. I'm going to read it to you. But Esther chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, and Esther chapter 6, verse 14 gives us a biblical example of what I've just talked about. I'm throwing a party, and I'll let you know when it's ready. Okay? So Esther chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Esther says to the king, My wish and my request is that if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, Please let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, they're at a feast right now. When this statement is being made, Esther has already gone into the throne room of the king and, and worried about whether or not she would be killed or received if the king puts out the golden scepter towards her and then she can touch it and she won't be killed. But if he doesn't extend the golden scepter, she's taken out and beheaded. So she goes into the throne room uninvited. The king extends the scepter. He says, what will I, what can I do for you? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. What can I do for you? She says, I just want you to come to a party tomorrow. That's all? Yeah, you and Haman. I want you to come to a party tomorrow. Okay. Tell Haman, we're going to be at Esther's tomorrow. One o'clock? Yeah, one o'clock. Okay, cool. One o'clock. So they're now at that party. So Esther, Esther chapter five, verses seven, eight. They're now at the party, the king and Haman and Esther. And he says, so what did you want? 
I mean, you came into the throne room threatening, I mean, with under the threat of death. What did you want? She said, um, come to my party tomorrow and I'll tell you. Okay, sure. So the next day, she has, she's preparing a feast. And if you go to Esther chapter 6 verse 14, it says, While Haman was talking with the people that it was around him, the king's eunuchs, which were the servants of the king, who served and, 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 and worked around Queen Esther, the king's eunuchs arrived at Haman's house and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. See, this is the invitation and the calling. Okay? I'm throwing a party. Please come. Everything's ready. It's now time for you to come. That's what Esther did here in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And that's what we see happening in chapter 3, excuse me, verse 3 of Matthew 22. Go back to, go ahead to the next slide, Craig. Matthew 22, verse 3. So he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they wouldn't come. Again, now you don't have it on the screen, but verse 4 says, And again, the king sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared the dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything's ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, it says. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants of the king, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, first of all, chapter 22, verse 5, where it says, they, the people receiving the call, okay, they've already been invited. Now this is the call to come. The party's ready. Come on. They, it says, they paid no attention. This is what it literally means. They made light of that summons. They treated it with contempt. It wasn't just, I can't come right now, I'm busy. It's like, please, I have better things to do than go to your stupid party. That's what that's saying. They paid no attention. And the end result is, they disrespected the king. This is the king that invited them to the party. This is the king's son who is getting married. And he invited you. And you have the nerve and the gall to say to the king, I got better things to do. The people hearing this, the cult, the people who are sitting around Jesus hearing this would be going, what? That's unheard. No one would do that. Now, <coughs> excuse me. You need to remember this is a parable. This is a story. Jesus is telling the story. No king would rally a group of soldiers and send them off to kill a bunch of people while the food is getting cold. Okay? This is a story Jesus is telling. But in the reality of it, they fully, the people hearing this story, fully understand what was going on. Because in their culture, not so much in our culture, but in their culture... This was an honor-shame society. Have you ever been exposed to that at all, anybody? What honor and shame is in a society? It's called causing someone to lose face. I'll give you an example. I did it. 
It's an incredible, so horrible social faux pas that causes pain and suffering to the person, and it causes a rift in relationship. I was in the Philippines. It was 1985, 86. We had been invited to go to a very, very, very important celebration in the life of a family in our church. Grandma had died. A woman who was in our church, the daughter of the woman who had died, was good friends with us. She and her family had to go. It was tradition. It was culture. They had no choice. They had to travel four-hour drive to go to the party that was being held on the anniversary of the death of mom. This is a cultural thing. They invited us. An incredible honor. We didn't fully understand how we were being honored, but we were incredibly being honored by this. We traveled four hours to the Pangasinan area, which is a resort area in the Philippines. It's gorgeous, turquoise blue. Mary's coat is the color of the water. It's incredibly gorgeous. And while the food was being prepared, Mrs. DeProsa said, you take my kids, you guys go on the banca boats and you go out to the islands. And so she paid for us to get on boats and go out to the islands. And they already had a, a, a luncheon prepared for us out there. Now that luncheon, they literally made a little fire, campfire on the beach. And they had these little short pieces of bamboo. They had stuffed parts of the bamboo with, uh, with rice, put a leaf of the bamboo over it and set that in the coals while they were boiling the, the prawn, the shrimp. This is fresh caught shrimp and this, this rice. And then they cracked it open with a machete and added it to us. And here's one half of the, the bamboo has got the rice and the other half is an open space for us to put the prawn. And then we're just sitting there eating prawn and rice on the beach in this beautiful place with turquoise water. And I'm thinking to myself, this is all I get to eat for the next five, six, seven, eight hours. There is no McDonald's between here and home. It's a four hour drive. I'm going to have to eat a lot of this to stay so that I don't get hungry on the way home. Oh my word. So I ate and I ate and I ate, which they were fine with. They love it when you eat your, eat their food. And I ate and I ate and I ate to the point of going, mmm, I shouldn't have eaten so much. Then we get back on the banca boat. A banca boat is like a big long canoe with these arms that come out to the side to keep you from toppling over. And they're doing this while we're sitting in them and we're just on the water, on the water. And I'm like, we get to the beach of the mainland and we finally get back in the vehicles and go back to grandma's or to, to the aunt's house where the party's being held. I'm feeling pretty bad at this point. Oh, and I walk in and the living room has like five or six tables filled with food. And they, oh, you come, come, come here. And they hand me a plate. You eat, you eat. It's like, oh, I can't eat it. I can't eat a thing. If I do, I'll get sick. Now, you know what I'm saying. I wasn't feeling well. I had just gorged myself on rice and prawns and then ridden a boat back to the mainland. I was feeling seasick and overstuffed and uncomfortable. I couldn't eat another bite. I would be sick. What she heard me say was, I can't eat your food. It's going to make me sick. But they're too gracious to be offensive to a person who's a guest in their home. Because in a shame-honor society, they would never dishonor you while you were dishonoring them. They would simply take it, which is what happened. For months, Mrs. Neprosa wouldn't talk to me. I had no idea what I had said or done. She would not talk to me. Finally, finally, in her home, I said, what have I done? And she said, oh, you told my sister that you won't eat her food because it makes you sick. What? 
that's not what I said. I heard you. You said it. Well, I was able to straighten it out with her. I never got to straighten it out with the sister. And 40 years later, I'm still feeling the guilt from what I did. Now, I didn't try to cause harm. It was a misunderstanding culturally. But the reality was, that's exactly what was going on here in this story. These people were disrespecting, violently disrespecting their king. And he (laughs) had every right to be upset. He had every right, especially when they murdered his servants. So he killed them and burned their city. And what did he say? What's the next section? Eight through ten, Craig? Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is still ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Scholars are convinced this is Jesus' pronouncement that the gospel is now open to Gentiles. It's not overt. It doesn't say specifically. But this is now the moment. It's the last few days of Jesus' time in his ministry on the earth. He has been accosted by the leadership of the Jewish nation. Who do you think you are coming to us and trying to teach us? We're the teachers. What authority do you have? I'll tell you what authority I have. But before I I do, you tell me. Oh, we're not answering that. Well, then I'm not answering your question. And let me tell you some stories. And this story is now saying it's over with. It's done. You have rejected and rejected and rejected and killed and it's done. The king has now opened the wedding invitation to all. Good, bad, otherwise, all. That's pretty powerful stuff because think about it. And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are Jewish by birth? None of you? So that means you're part of this great invitation. God has opened the gate for you because of their rejection of God. God's grace and God's mercy has been extended to you, myself included, because of someone else's arrogance and carelessness and disrespect. Now, Going to the next slide, verses 11 and 12. Should be 11 and 12? 11 through 13, sorry. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, let's stop there for just a second. It's not clear, I'm quoting somebody now, one of the the commentators. It's not clear how Jesus' first listeners would have understood this detail, except that they would have been horrified to know that somebody attended a wedding feast without proper attire. That was unthinkable in their culture. Now, in our culture, 
the wedding invitation will tell you. Is it formal, semi-formal, flip-flops, whatever? They'll tell you what they expect. In that culture, you didn't come off the street in your dirty clothes. You came dressed. You came well-dressed. The video I was telling you some about, about my family this morning, they were wearing formal attire dancing the Macarena. It was really ugly. That's the reason I didn't want to watch the video. But... <laughs> But anyways, no, seriously, this was, this was a big deal in their culture. When a wedding happened, when a formal event happened like this, especially the king's son, you didn't show up in jeans and a t-shirt. You wore appropriate clothes. So for the people hearing this story that Jesus was telling, this was an unthinkable thing to have such arrogance to show up at a wedding not wearing proper clothes. Now, the thing that's interesting though, is apparently it was the king who provided the clothes. Think about it. Think about who's sitting in that room right now. These were people who were in the street. These are people who were marketplace people or travelers or people who were working out in the field. They hadn't received an invitation six weeks ago that said you're going to be invited to a wedding on or about this date at this time. They didn't receive anything other than a quick, come on, there's a party and it's happening right now, come. They didn't have time to go take a bath and do their hair and scrub their nails and put on their freshest and cleanest. They literally showed up at the gate of the king's house and they were given opportunity to clean and put on clean clothes. Now, scholars will say that there, there are some scholars who say that the king literally took clothes out of his own closet other scholars say, no, this was all just bleached and clean linen that was put over the other people's clothes. But regardless of what it was, these people were properly attired because the king made provision. The king gave them something to wear. That way, they didn't have to come in in a soiled condition. They didn't violate their culture. They honored the king. So here the king comes in, verse 13 on the screen. The king then comes in, looks around, sees this guy and says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? The guy was speechless. And the king's response is, oh, get him a wedding garment. Come on, bring bring one over here. No, that's not what happens. The king says to the attendants, bind this one hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness at a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the punishment, again, I'm reading somebody else's words. The punishment is ludicrously severe for having come to a wedding improperly dressed. But the point goes far deeper. The man who scorned his host's provision of wedding clothes insulted the host, showing personal complacency. Ah, my best is good enough for God. God says it's not. The king in the story has the man thrown out. God will do the same to anyone who relies on their own fancied goodness to gain entry into the kingdom. And then the commentator referred to a couple of passages in Isaiah. Bring up that passage in Isaiah, the one that's been on the screen all morning long. It should be the next slide, Craig. All of us, Isaiah 64, all of us are dirty with sin. All the right things we have done are like 
filthy, you heard what I said earlier this morning, pieces of cloth. Isaiah 61, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. God invited anyone, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, sinner, saint, all. God said, we're having a party and I want you to be there. And I'm going to even dress you in righteousness and purity. Come on. And one person had the audacity to show up and try to sneak into the party. Going, I don't need your grace. I'm good enough. What's the last verse, Craig? The last slide. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Jesus ends his parable by saying, many are called, but few are are chosen. Now, we live in the digital age where you can easily hear preachers on television and on the radio and on the internet and you can read their their writings and you will hear over and over and over and over and over again on most of those channels people who have a calvinistic theology and calvinism says God has elected elected certain ones to be saved. And this verse is one of their favorite verses because they interpret this to say many are called, but only a few are actually chosen by God. And I would say to you that my understanding, especially from a Wesleyan Arminian perspective, which is the theology I adhere to, where I have the freedom to choose God and I have the freedom to leave God and I have the freedom to repent of my sin. I have the freedom to not repent of my sin. I have the freedom to pick up my sin again if I choose to. That's what we understand as our relationship with God. God says in this verse that the call to to the party is extended to everyone. However, God has set certain requirements that must be met before you can get into the party. You are welcome. Everyone is welcome. Anyone on the street, come on in. There's lots. We got plenty. Come on in. But before you come through that door, there is an expectation that you will put on my robe of righteousness. That you will be cleansed of your filth. You will wash in the, in the mikvah. You will bl- cleanse yourself from your filth. Then you will put on the robe of righteousness that I provide to you. And then you are welcome. See, God has provided everything. He provides the venue. He provides the decorations. He provided the food. He even provided the clothes to wear and the water for you to bathe in. All the invitees have to do is accept the invitation, wash, and wear the party clothes. That's it. And if I haven't already said it, let me say it again. What do the party clothes represent? The clothes are the purity and righteousness we receive through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. 
When we repent and confess of our sins, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring up 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Verse 10 is the person trying to get into the party without the wedding clothes. Now, go back up to the Isaiah 61-64 slide. Remember I said, this parable of Jesus was the turning point, if you will, in Jesus' vocal outward ministry that it is no longer just for the Jews. Remember the story of the woman who was from, Cy- from Cyrene, Cyrenian woman, that's it, whose daughter was ill and she said, Jesus, help me. He said, I can't work with you. You're not a Jew. And she said, but Jesus, he said, look, I can't give the food, the children's food to the dogs. And she said, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith is, has earned this, your daughter as well. That's no longer the case. Anyone, anyone, anyone can come. It is no longer an exclusive club. Anyone can come. But you have to confess your sins. You have to repent of your sins. And then God cleanses you. God makes you righteous. To be chosen, all one needs to do is receive the invitation and respond to the call. The set of clothes is thrown in gratis. Let's pray. Jesus, I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. And Father, I ask that you would burn this into our hearts. Thank you for empowering me through this study that for the rest of the time I'm on this earth, I don't have to avoid this parable, but I can truly use it as a means of expressing the gospel to someone who doesn't understand. It is no longer a, a, a misunderstanding for me of why it's that big of a deal while somebody is not wearing the right clothes. But now I understand, God, it is a disrespect of you. It is a disrespect of your grace. It is a disrespect of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And I thank you and praise you, God, that this is now a tool in the arsenal for me to be able to win people to, to, the, to the faith. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.